You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral. I want to speak to you just for a few moments about the move and the power of the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit. The scripture shows us that throughout the Bible, the coming of the Spirit is supernaturally and it is supernaturally simultaneous with the wheat harvest. Wherever we see the wheat harvest, we also see a type and a shadow of the Holy Spirit. I want us to see how the wheat harvest is so important because in Hebrew, it was the first fruits of the wheat festival that was called Shavuot, which later became Pentecost as we know it. All right, let us look just for a moment at the day of Pentecost when Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 16 and 17. We are going to see that the scriptural sign of the coming of the Spirit and the scriptural sign of the wonders that were wrought in the upper room all are um, wrought through the sign of the wheat harvest. The wheat harvest itself is a sign of Pentecost. Let us look and see the way this is. The scripture shows us here that Peter is standing up in the upper room on the day that the Holy Spirit made his residence here on earth. And the scripture tells us in Acts 2 verse 15, these men are not drunken what with wine as you suppose, but it's but the third hour of the day. In other words, it's nine o'clock in the morning. How can these men be drunk? But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And we see that the very first thing that's being spoken of by the prophet Joel is that the scripture is telling us that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So how does he know it is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel? Prophet Joel didn't say anything about speaking in tongues. The prophet Joel didn't say anything about a mighty rushing wind. The prophet Joel didn't say anything about the scriptural record that we have in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. He only said you, that, that the spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. We didn't hear anyone in the upper room prophesying, though they may have. And we did not see any signs of any person's prophesying in the upper room. But what we did see in the upper room were signs of Joel's prophecy. And the signs of Joel's prophecy is not the fact just that they are speaking in tongues because he did not mention that. But what we need to see is that Joel's prophecy specifically has given us a reference to the time when this prophecy will take place. And the time is going to be during the wheat harvest. So this is why Peter in the upper room, though there was no speaking in, tongue, no speaking in tongues in Joel's prophecy, and though there was no signs that we see in the upper room, the wonders and the incredible outpouring that we see in the upper room were not actual um, not actually mentioned by Joel at all. But what we see as a common denominator between Joel and the book of Acts and the reason we know that, that Luke knows and that, and that Peter, who stood up, knows that this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, is that Joel gave a sign, and it is the scriptural sign. When these events begin to happen, it will be the time of the wheat harvest. When it is the wheat harvest, the Spirit comes. Say this with me. When it is the wheat harvest, the Spirit of God comes. How many of you are getting ready for the Spirit of God to come? All right. Let us see how this is shown in the book of Joel. Go with me to Joel chapter 2. Because all of the signs of the coming of the Spirit that are revealed in Joel chapter 2 begin for us in verse 23. 
The Bible says, be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, because he's given you the former rain moderately, but he shall cause to come down for you the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Now watch this, verse 24. And the floors shall be full of wheat. Say this with me, the floors will be full of wheat. And the fats will overflow with wine and oil. So the fact that the signs are beginning with the floors being full of wheat, when are they filled with wheat? They're filled with wheat in the wheat harvest. They're filled with wheat in the festival and the feast of first fruits. You see, wheat is not gathered every season. Wheat is not gathered in the, in the first part of the year and then in the uh, end of the year as well. There's only one time a year in Israel that wheat is gathered, and it is during this season, the season of the beginning of the barley harvest, which begins on the day of Pentecost. Can I get a witness somewhere? Touch your neighbor and say, the sign of the coming of the Spirit is the wheat harvest. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. All right, let us see how John the Baptist, who records the words of Jesus. Notice how when our Lord begins to introduce the baptism in the Holy Ghost, he introduces the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and he uses the language of the threshing floor, which is the language of the wheat harvest. Let us see it here. Verse chapter, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. And let us see it together. Luke 3, 16. John answered saying to all of them. Now I want you to understand something. John the Baptist had an identity of Jesus that we see here in Luke and we also see it in John's gospel. In the other synoptic gospels in Mark and in Matthew, we only get a brief glimpse of what John the Baptist said about Jesus. And we only know that Jesus came into the waters of baptism to be baptized by John, but we do not really have the fullness of John's message. All we have is that he, he says to repent. And to um, he, he says in Mark's gospel, he tells those that, that have in need of repentance. For example, he told the Pharisees, uh, he told the tax collectors, do not take more than is exacted to you. And to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But we really don't get his message about Jesus, except in John and Luke. We get the message that he is saying to the public concerning their sins. But what he is saying about the Messiah is capsulated for us in Luke and in John. And what he is saying in John and what he is saying in Luke is he is telling us something that no other prophet ever told us. You must understand, all of the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures told us that the Messiah would have the identity of the Spirit of God, that this would be his unique identity. He would be the Mashiach Hashem. He would be the anointed of God. In him and upon him would rest the Spirit of the Lord without measure. He would be the only one in Israel, the only one who ever lived and the only one who ever will ever have experienced the Spirit of God without limit, perfectly cooperating with the Holy Spirit in every area as a man, not, as, not in his divine nature, in his human nature. In his human nature, he completely cooperated with the Holy Spirit unlike any other human being ever has. You see, Samuel the prophet cooperated with the Spirit, but there were flaws. He did not perfectly cooperate with the Holy Spirit. If you remember, as precious and as wonderful as the prophet Samuel was, when he went before the sons of Jesse, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed to the firstborn son of Jesse. But the Lord said, no, this is not him. So his discernment was not perfect. 
And then he came to the next one. And he said, surely this is the Lord's. This would be the Lord's anointed. And the Holy Spirit said, do not look at the size and do not look at the stature. For the Lord does not see the way man sees. The Lord looks upon the heart. So Samuel, even though he's the prophet Samuel, still did not have perfect cooperation with the Holy Spirit. There were still flaws, as we all have, because the Bible tells us, though we prophesy in part, we know in part. We don't prophesy wholly. We prophesy in part. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, and we know in part. But Jesus as a man, still being God at the same time, Jesus as a man cooperated perfectly with the Holy Spirit. Every single gift of the Spirit, every single operation of the Spirit, not one flaw. The only human being who ever lived on this earth when he became man cooperated completely and absolutely in perfect unity with what the Holy Spirit wanted. Okay, so we know this from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures teaching us about the Messiah, but the Hebrew Scriptures do not tell us that he will be a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. But yet John, when he begins to preach to us about the identity of Jesus, not the message, repent of sins, not the message, prepare ye the way of the Lord, but when he came forth declaring the message that he was put on this earth to declare, to prepare the way for Jesus. Well, we know he's preparing the way, but how did he prepare? He prepared the way, not just by saying, prepare ye the way. How can you be prepared if somebody just says, prepare the way? That doesn't prepare anybody. But he prepared the way through announcing to Israel what this Messiah would do and who he was and what his characteristics were. And John said, I knew him not when I saw him, but he that sent me to baptize said, upon the one that you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, this is the one that baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So we must understand, John is the one who taught us initially that Jesus was the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. I hope you understand that. Man cannot baptize you in the Holy Ghost. You can come forward and you can have hands laid on you, but man does not baptize you in the Holy Ghost. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. John said, I truly baptize you with water, but another is coming after me. So in John chapter 1, verse 33, John said, the one who sent me to baptize. I knew when, he, when Jesus walked on the scene, John said, I knew him not. John did not know who he was. He did not have a special visage, a special appearance that we should look upon him and say, this is the Messiah. But John said, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is the one that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So everything about Jesus is unity with the Holy Spirit. Everything about Jesus is surrender to the Holy Spirit. Everything about Jesus is yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. And those of us who want to be like Jesus, if we really want to be like Jesus, we must have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness somewhere? So John said, upon the one whom you see, uh, and upon him whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And we see here in Luke 3.16, Luke is going to, 
is going to enunciate it a, a bit different than John the Evangelist as he recorded John the Baptist. This is what Luke says. John answered saying to them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, of whose latchet shoe, of shoe, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This is why Jesus, John tells us, and another writer in the Synoptics Gospels tell us, Jesus baptized no man. When Jesus walked on the earth, he did not do what John the Baptist did. He commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but Jesus never baptized a human being with water. The Bible says his disciples baptized, but the scripture explains why he never baptized one with water. The Bible says he never baptized one with water because he is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. I hope you understand. We are never to confuse the baptism in the Holy Ghost with baptism in water. Touch your neighbor and say, if you've been baptized in water but never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, you can get baptized in the Holy Ghost. See, when you're baptized in water, man baptizes you. A wonderful person will take you out to that river, baptize you in water. I've done that a few times. One of the best times of my life was to baptize in the River Jordan. And it was raining, pouring in the middle of November. It was freezing cold. And everybody was sneezing. And there was the River Jordan. And it was ice cold. And everybody wanted to be baptized. I think, I don't know if Rosie was on that trip or not. <laughs> she traveled to the Holy Land so many times when she was young. You weren't on that one. Not when it was raining. Okay. And um, um, we, the, it, was, it was so cold. And uh, the water was so cold. I just kind of touched the water saying, oh my goodness, this water's so cold, and everybody was sneezing. And I thought in my normal mind, oh, ye have little faith. I thought, if we go in there, we're going to catch pneumonia. Lord, you've got to help us. And I thought, well, I don't care about myself, Lord, but I'm responsible for this flock. What if they go into this water and catch pneumonia or get sick? That's what I initially thought. And of course, oh, ye have little faith. The Holy Ghost won't let you get away with something like that. Touch your neighbor and say, he won't let you get away with a thought like that. As I was in that, getting ready, and I thought, well, I started to put the white robes on and get everybody ready, and I thought, Lord Jesus, don't let anyone who's coming in this water get sick, and if anyone will get sick, stop them from coming in the water. That was my prayer. The whole group got into the water, but the moment we stepped in the water. It still rained, but the water was warm. Terry, were you there? Terry was there. I was there, and it was holy. It was there. The whole water was warm. I'm not kidding. God is my witness. And no one got sick. It was glorious. It was many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, Terry, something like that, maybe 25, in the 90s, sometime in the 90s. Okay. So it was a glorious experience of being baptized, baptizing people in water. But I baptized them, okay? Um, we followed Jesus in water baptism. But if I were to have sat them down and prayed them into baptism in the Holy Spirit, I could only pray with them, but I could not give them baptism in the Holy Spirit. There is only one person, there is only one who can baptize in the Holy Spirit. And this is why he did not baptize in water when he walked on the earth. That is Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. 
This is why we have to long for the Holy Spirit. And this is why if we've never experienced baptism in the Holy Spirit, you should get the baptism today. Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is going to change your life. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is going to put you on fire for God. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is going to submerge you into the supernatural. Somebody ought to give God the praise and give God the glory. John answered and said to them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one cometh mightier than I, whose shoe latch it I'm not worthy to unloose, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the Bible tells us, if we continue, the Bible tells us, if we look at that scripture, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. This means during the wheat harvest. The wheat harvest is when the fan is used. It is a threshing floor. It is an instrument to separate the wheat from the chaff that is used during the wheat harvest, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and he will gather the wheat into the garner. Touch your neighbor and say, baptism in the Holy Spirit associated with wheat and the harvest of the wheat. Gather the garner, gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. So we need to understand that these signs of the Spirit that accompany, that accompany baptism in the Spirit, we must understand that the Bible is associating specifically the day of Pentecost and the wonders that are seen in the upper room with the wheat harvest. Therefore, in order to understand what the Holy Ghost really is doing in our lives during this time of Pentecost and during the season of Pentecost, then we need to look at many of the inferences in the scripture where the wheat harvest appears because it's in that very wheat harvest that the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, is revealed to us. The first thing I want us to see, if we look, the Bible tells us very clearly. We might have a question. We might have the question, and the question is, why did God command 50 days from Pentecost to the wheat harvest? We've got all kinds of scriptural answers, and we all obviously know the answers that come from Torah. But in a personal prophetic sense, we might ask the question, why do we have to wait for 50 days? And if we look at the text, which we're not going to look at now, but in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16, the command is to count the days. And also, if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 9, the command is to count the days till the 50th day. So the question is, why does God want, why is he commanding a count? And I want you to understand that the commanding of the count is very necessary because the commanding of the count is set up so that there might be an anticipation, an anticipation for an event. And this is prophetically prefigured. Remember the Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, we must understand that Prior to the day of Pentecost, there was prayer going on in the upper room. And today, many of God's people cannot understand how revival happens because we think if we just come into a meeting and the power of God is moving, that somehow through the power of God that's moving, that's a revival. But I want to tell you, that is just a foretaste of a revival. I want you to know how real revival happens. Frank Bartleman, who was the primary intercessor for Azusa Street, said, that revival cannot come without agonizing prayer. That means there has to be a long-awaited time, whether it's 50 days, whether it's a year, 
whether it's a season, whether it's two years, where there are individuals who are going to loan themselves to the Holy Spirit and begin by the Spirit of God to agonize for the coming of the Spirit in, this, in that generation. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. This is why the Bible tells us they had to tarry. Hello, somebody. Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem. What does it mean to tarry? To tarry means to pray until the Spirit is poured out on high. You see, we have a generation that knows nothing about tarrying in the presence of God. We want everything now. We want it tomorrow. Or we want it the moment that we pray it. But if you really want an upper room experience, then you've got to be willing to tarry. Understand what I'm talking about. The 50 days prior to Pentecost was essential because it prefigures for us what is necessary before the Spirit of God will come. You say, why do we need to tarry? Why do we need to pray? Why does there need to be agonizing prayer? You see the sign of the revival that's coming. Let me tell you what the sign of the revival is. It's not just some manifestation in the church. That is not the sign of revival coming. The sign of revival coming is when you're driving down the street and you can't control yourself. You start wailing out in the name of Jesus because the anointing for revival is so strong upon you that you can't even drive your car. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Right now, we're not that hungry. So he's not going to come. So don't think he's going to show up tomorrow. Oh, we'll get what we're used to. We're so used to using the Holy Spirit. We need a fix. We come into a service. We need a healing. We need something. We receive it in that service, and then we leave. And we don't need him for everything. We haven't got to the point yet that we're, there's something going on in our hearts. There's something going on in our souls. There's something going on, and it's, where are you, Holy Spirit? There's something going on. I need you, Holy Spirit. There's something going on. Come back again, Holy Spirit. Where have you been, Holy Spirit? We need you, Holy Spirit. Do you understand? what I'm talking about. I'm starting to think lately something's wrong with me because there's strange behavior happening. It's out of my control. I don't mean I don't have control over it. Driving down a certain street, I can't do it. And I have to go down a certain street every week to the place of prayer where I pray. It's a little street called Elm Street. It's in Brea. It's a little place where there's really sweet little quaint houses. It's the same neighborhood I grew up in. When I drive down that street, I begin to weep. And I'm not weeping because of the past. Because if I really think about it, in the days before Christ, our family went through a lot. And I can't remember any of that. I cannot remember any of that. I cannot remember any of it. When I drive down that street, it reminds me. It reminds me of the days when we first came to know Jesus and the revival was so strong in the earth. It reminds me of when we all got ready 
to go to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting or go to a meeting where it would be really truthfully charismatic and not just standing up and shouting, where the Holy Spirit would really work in his gifts. priest who died many years ago who broke out of the box of the Episcopal Church and stayed Episcopalian brought the Holy Spirit and would bring cartloads of people to Melody Land oh my Spirit was so strong in the earth. You didn't look at a person's background or segregate yourself from them because of their denomination. There was no elitist theology. Everybody wanted the Holy Ghost. Everybody wanted him and he was present and he was available. People were speaking in tongues from the dead churches. People were getting on fire. Everybody was loving everybody. People who had never fellowshiped together ever. They wouldn't even have stepped foot in each other's churches. We're now communing and fellowshipping. And as I'm saying it, we have straight faces and we look like I'm crazy when I'm saying it because it's so far-fetched from today's culture. We can't possibly conceive something like that. to know when will you come like we knew Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to these thy precious children in this generation who have heard but not seen when are you going to reveal yourself as we knew then let me just explain it Joel's prophecy is a prophecy. We need to look at Joel 2, 28. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the question is, what is all flesh? In biblical times, all flesh was something absolutely inconceivable. You would never think of the Holy Spirit being poured out on handmaidens. That didn't happen. You would never think of the Holy Spirit being poured out on sons and daughters unless they were sons of the prophets. That did not exist. That concept of the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh was something that in biblical times was inconceivable because the only ones who ever had the Spirit of God come upon them were the kings or prophets when they prophesied. But now Joel, Joel, Joel is saying... My spirit shall be poured out on all flesh. This means sons. This means daughters shall prophesy. Your old men are going to see visions and your young men are going to dream dreams. But what we need to see here, dear people, is that this word on all flesh means the ones you never expected are going to be the ones that the Holy Spirit is going to pour himself out upon. And that's exactly what happened in the days of the Holy Spirit renewal. This is when the Holy Spirit began to be poured out on individuals you would never think could ever speak in tongues, that you would never imagine to speak in tongues. So we have to remember the Holy Spirit is not segregated. If we really want, if we really want the Holy Spirit, we have to be open to all Christians. Not all faiths, God forbid. People who call themselves people of faith, who are in a cult, 
absolutely not. People who do not believe in the blood of Jesus, absolutely not. People who do not believe in the resurrection, absolutely not. But the Bible says no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. And the sign of the Spirit is all flesh. The sign of the Spirit is someone you didn't think was very holy is going to speak in tongues. Hello, somebody. Somebody who's not like you is going to speak in tongues. Can I get a witness somewhere? Can we begin at square one? Can we begin at square one to take all of the titles off the Holy Spirit. Take all of the, all of our backgrounds. I'm not going to say throw them away because he's the spirit of individuality. He doesn't make us all the same. He does not create clones. He creates individuals with a unique expression of worship and a unique expression of loving God and serving God. But how can you say to someone who is serving God and it's not like you, you don't quite understand. So from, from one standpoint, you're judging the person because you don't understand what they're doing. We got to get rid of all that. If we want to tarry and we want the baptism. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? Right. You see, all flesh means the persons who are not qualified. The persons who have no qualification being unqualified is what's going to make you qualified. Touch your neighbor and say, being unqualified is my, is my credential to be qualified. Say it with me. Being unqualified is my credential to be qualified. Hallelujah. This is why the Bible says, and upon your sons and your daughters... Hallelujah. Will I pour out of my spirit? This is why Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ. And when we begin to understand Jew or Greek means no matter what your background is, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as your savior and you confess him with your mouth and you shall and that God raised him from the dead. Romans 10 says you shall be saved. So there are some brethren they don't look like us, but they speak in tongues. And they confess that Jesus is Lord. They may not worship the exact way we worship, but this is what the Holy Spirit loves. He loves to take our will and smash it down. He loves to take all of our outward righteousness and bring it right to the cross so that we have no righteousness of our own, but he is our righteousness. Can we understand that today? Okay, so we're getting, we're getting a groundbreaking tonight for baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're getting a groundbreaking tonight for the revival. This is what made Azusa Street so powerful because people from all backgrounds and all creeds that loved Jesus came and they all flesh, the spirit of God was being poured out upon them. First Corinthians chapter, chapter one, verse 26 defines this and says, you see your calling brethren that not many wise, not many noble after the flesh, not many mighty are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak things of this world. Yea, the things that are not to confound the things that are mighty. Hallelujah. Now, tonight, I want to share with you very quickly one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit that we see in the wheat harvest. We'll only have time for one. So I want you to open with me to Judges chapter 6. And we are going to see in Judges chapter 6 that Gideon is going to receive his call during the time of the wheat harvest. Can we just jump ahead and look at that verse? so that we understand the frame of reference from which we are speaking. 
if we go, beloved saints, to Judges chapter 6, and I want us to look at this very quickly. We're going to see in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, the call of Gideon. I want us to look at it. The Bible says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak tree, which was an Ophrah that pertained to Joash, the A.B. Israelite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, beloved, let me just explain. Gideon is going to receive his call, the Bible is very clear about it, when he's threshing wheat. And he's threshing the wheat by the winepress because it wasn't the season of the winepress. So he could hide the wheat because the Midianites would know the winepress, there's no grapes. Because that's not until the fall. So he is threshing wheat by the winepress. So the fact that Gideon is threshing wheat is the wheat harvest. Okay? He's out there threshing wheat. So whatever we read about Gideon is going to give us insight to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his works. Why? Because the wheat harvest is being featured in his call. So wherever we see the wheat harvest, when we see an action or we see individuals that are involved in the wheat harvest, then we understand that that action of those individuals actually reflects the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All right? So here we see Gideon threshing, but let's look at the text from the very beginning. In Judges chapter 1, or excuse me, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, we are going to see that Gideon represents the least expected is the one the Lord elected to be prepared for promise. And this is the way the Holy Spirit works. He doesn't choose the one you think is going to be chosen. He chooses the one with the less capabilities. He chooses the one with the most, the most unlikely one that you would never choose to be used of God. And the scripture tells us in Judges chapter 6 verse 1, and here we see the work of the Spirit. The Bible says in Judges 6, verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. All right? Bondage for seven years. After seven years, the Holy Spirit, seven years is up. This is the introduction. And as that seven years comes to a close, after seven years has been completed, right away, Gideon is going to be filled and chosen to be God's man to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. But seven is a symbol of the Spirit. And seven represents the Lord's release. Seven represents coming out of bondage. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, after every seven years, there shall be a release. So now we are going to see something that the Holy Spirit does because seven is the symbol of the Spirit. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, thus saith, thus saith the Lord who has the seven spirits of God. There are not seven Holy Spirits, but seven attributes of the Holy Spirit because seven is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Put your hands up and say seven is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that the Midianites, their time of ruling over Israel is over shows us something that happens during Pentecost. During Pentecost, all the bondages that have ruled over your life, like the Midianites, it has to cease. Because once it is time for the wheat harvest, the Holy Spirit will begin to subdue the strongholds that have taken you out of your place of purpose and worship. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody ought to say, I'm looking forward to these days with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible tells us in, in Judges 6, verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Seven-year time is up. Because the Spirit of God is going to take over. 
We just said a moment ago in Deuteronomy 15, 1, after every seven years shall be a release. The Bible calls this a Shemitah. That there is a Shemitah that happens at the end of every seven years. Every slave has to go free after seven years. Now we see that the Midianites are no longer in control. So now the children of Israel who have been pushed into dens and ruled over by the Midianites who have greatly impoverished them, that cycle is over. God wants you to know this Pentecost, it is possible for every demonic spirit that has ruled over your life, that has pushed you into dens and taken away your freedom and taken away your harvest and taken away your identity. This Pentecost, it is possible for you to experience the anointing of the spirit and the freedom that is represented in the call of Gideon. This is why the Bible says here, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And it was so when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and encamped against them and destroyed all the increase of the earth till you come to Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, not sheep, not ox, not donkey, nothing. Stand to your feet right now and say, Father God, during this Pentecost, everything that's been driving me away from my destiny is going to be broken. And I want to thank you that during the time of the wheat harvest, it's a Shemitah. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's a Shemitah for you. It's a release for you. It's a breaking of bondage for you. It's a breaking of strongholds for you. It's a breaking of curses. It's a breaking of word curses. It's a breaking of imaginations. It's a breaking of demonic power. It's a Shemitah that God is going to put over your life and over your children. It is a time of really Somebody should give God the praise and give God the glory. Keep those hands raised toward heaven tonight. Wonderful Holy Spirit, we want more of you. Wonderful Holy Spirit, we need you. Wonderful Holy Spirit, we cannot live without you. Help us. Let there be a wonder that's beginning even now. We know you have something planned. You would not disappoint us. You would not disappoint this generation. You would not do it. We don't know when, but we know the sign. you're at hand. Select vessels in this house today that only have one agenda. Not just for their needs to be met. Individuals that will agonize in prayer for the coming of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you will not come where you are tolerated. We have become beloved saints, and I say this with the utmost respect and reverence for every person in this place. Please do not get offended by what I say. But we have put the Holy Spirit in a place of choice along with other things. We put him in the same category as we have our likes and dislikes. The whole purpose of tarrying is not just because we have to agonize. The agonizing represents something. It represents how deeply we want him. 
you must understand his personality. The Holy Spirit will never show up, never, in a place he's tolerated. He won't do it. You can speak in tongues and you can try it to do all the manifestations outwardly that you want. You can deceive yourselves by going through the motions. But he will never show up in a place that he's tolerated. He's got to be number one. And he's got to be welcomed and longed for. He's got to be cried out for and sought after. He's like a, a very, very, very polite guest. I used to say the Holy Spirit was Korean. Kind of thought that. Kind of Asian. Because of the, the gentleman that he is. He won't come into a place just because we have his name on it because we go through the motions because we're entitled to some kind of in on the anointing he doesn't do that he's a gentleman he wants to know you really prepared for him and he's not a bother to you he wants you to have him first place in his heart. Say, come, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome. Come, Holy Spirit, I want you more than I want anything else. Come, Holy Spirit, I've been waiting all day. Come, Holy Spirit, I've been fasting. Come, Holy Spirit, I, I've, I've been longing for you. I want you more than I want anything in this world, more than any other person I want you that thank you for joining us today it is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you if you have never received jesus christ as the lord of your life invite him now to be your lord and savior and best friend repeat this simple prayer lord jesus come into my heart and be the lord of my life Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon.